Blockade's vision, broadly speaking, can be described as the term that we call text to game. The way that we do games right now is fundamentally a product of the limitations. And so the ultimate goal here is for the process to become one where execution is not the barrier and its idea. Mid-Journey and Stable Diffusion blew up over the summer and our technology also, because we are just using like whatever the best stuff that's out there in the open source was. And so suddenly it went from like, we're all alone out there with maybe like Mid-Journey and a couple of other companies to bam, total gold rush mode, everybody running for it as fast as they can. Let's do this, bro. Three, two, one, cheers. Boom. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Bad Decisions Podcast. Damn right. Episode number 18. We're back again. It's another beautiful day. It's a Monday and uh, I'm, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling pumped. I'm super excited for our guest today. Faraz, why don't you tell us who's our guest today? All right, everybody. you got to buckle up because we're going to be going balls deep into the fascinating world of emerging tech, AI, and blockchain. And there's nobody better and more qualified than our guest today to talk about all the things we've got planned out. He is the mastermind behind some of the most groundbreaking projects in the AI space. And he's a relentless innovator behind Blockade Labs 330 AI and Tokenly. And for that very reason, he is deemed as a disruptive technology specialist. He's also the founder of the Let's Talk Bitcoin show and host of Markets Daily for Coindesk. And I am not joking when I say this. I think he probably knows more about Bitcoin than Satoshi himself. I don't know how this guy sleeps. I don't know when this guy sleeps because he does so much in all of these things that we just talked about. Everybody, please welcome Adam B. Levine. What's up, Adam? How are you, Adam? Uh, it's pretty, uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm doing pretty good, guys. That was a hell of an intro. A hell of an intro to stand up to. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what to say, but we, we've had only a few occasions um, and, and, and opportunities to speak with you in a, in a previous meeting and earlier before we started a podcast. I just want to say it's, it's going to be one hell of a show today because we have so many things lined up. Me and Farah were just talking about this before the podcast. So many questions, but Farah, you wanted to... I, I just wanted to ask, like, how do you manage your time doing all these things together? Because I saw that you posted a podcast episode yesterday on a Sunday. And then, of course, you're working on Blockade Labs, all the different things. How's your time management going, man? <laughs> That's a really good question. Yeah, so with the uh, so I only do one podcast right now. Let's Talk Bitcoin was a show that I did for 10 years, just about 10 years. Yeah. Um, it wound it down the uh, middle of last year. Um, but uh, the show I do now, to the extent that, uh, that it gets put up on the weekends, thankfully, I have a team over at Coindesk that uh, provides a lot of support. So I just show up and script the thing and read the thing and you know, do the show itself. But yeah, no, uh, I, I've done a lot of content over the years. It's true. And I'm honestly a little on my way out from it right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's been a long time and I'm a little bit tired, I think, to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because uh, me and Farad were looking at, you know, your posts, just stalking your Twitter, your LinkedIn. And what's going to be really interesting for a lot of people watching today is that you are one of the few that has a super positive and optimistic approach when it comes to AI and the way it's disrupting the world. And, and you have a very interesting approach to it. And one thing that Farhad also found really interesting was about the way you comment. Right? Not only you comment, you reply the comments, you really reply them in details. Like I could see essays of you in Twitter, on LinkedIn, <laughs> really explaining the vision. I mean, people could be like, oh, whatever. It's just no, they usually comment. don't reply, Either, if it's especially like a hate yeah. comment or something like that. You go all out. You just like, you describe everything. Give examples. and. <laughs> 
like what is the what is the reason behind all of this i want people to understand <clears throat> i mean really that's like if you look at if you look at my life my life has uh was changed about mm, i mean maybe 16 17 years ago um you know when i came to realize how poorly i understood money i used to be afraid of so much stuff i used to be i just didn't understand the way the world worked and as a result of not understanding how the world worked I was just constantly concerned because I couldn't predict what was going to happen. And, and, you know, and I, uh, you know, I was a starving student for, for a couple of years, you know, and like had loans that were like a little bit less money than I actually needed, you know, in order to work, you know, to like to make life work. And so that was like that, that kind of forced me down a rabbit hole where I was like, okay, I need to actually understand the way the world works and the way that I've been told that it works doesn't really seem like the way that it works in practice. So let me kind of go back to basics and try to understand from there. And as I came to understand more about how money works, about how politics work, you know, about how technology works and the sort of uh, different factors about that, I kind of separated my understanding of things into these are things over here that I didn't understand. But now that I do understand, I see that actually they're really bad and that there's a lot of problems that I didn't understand, but I felt and I internalized. And then on the other side, over here is technology, and I've always felt like technology was a force for good, but actually what technology is, is it, it depends on what it's doing. And disruptive technologies in particular, which I've been working with pretty much exclusively over the last 15 years at this point, um, you know, uh, struck me as something that was not only a good thing, but was one of the very few things that could break a lot of the bad things in our world today. And so when you think about disruptive technology, the question is, what or who is being disrupted? And the answer to that question generally is the people who have power. And sometimes the people who have power are people who have power because they have a monopoly on it, like the government. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's just people who developed a skill, uh, you know, and by nature of having developed that skill, they have power. I've always been an ideas guy and I've always been very poor on execution, relatively speaking, because I, you know, I care about the big picture a lot more than the details and the details turn out to be pretty important when you're actually trying to do something. So, so that's broadly how, so I mean, like, so that, uh, that leads to a couple of different things. Um, it leads to, first off, a great empathy and appreciation of why so many people are confused and angry and unhappy in the world today, which is part, certainly partly because of their choices, but also a lot of it is because the world that we live in, um, as we're told it is, is not the world that we live in as it actually is. And the misunderstanding between those two things leads to people making bad choices. And those bad choices then they internalize as their fault or they blame somebody else. And the answer is it's both. Uh, but it means that it's really important for people to understand not just the answer, but the context, the sort of the work that gets there uh, to explain the answer. Because if you just tell somebody, no, you're wrong, here's the right answer, then you've now turned it into, you know, like a fight where you're both going to fight. And I spent so much of my early life arguing with people because I'm good at arguing and I know how to be right <laughs> if I want to be right, right? Like I could argue until people would just get bored and stop. And that eventually, <laughs> you eventually figure out that's not very productive. Right? Watch, out, watch out for yeah. today. There's not <laughs> going to be any arguing today. I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. It's not productive. All, what I like to do and what I figured out that I could do is I could look at a person, talk to them for a little while, 
understand like in a lot of situations, not perfectly, but in a lot of situations, understand the piece of information that's missing from their personal calculation that's leading to that misunderstanding. And then just provide that piece of information in a way that wasn't like forcing it on them, but just like letting it float out there. And if they grab it, then they grab it. And a lot of times what would happen, I found, is that days later or weeks later, it would connect and the person would suddenly really? kind of have an wow. epiphany. That's actually, yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. How, how often do people actually turn and, and realize, okay, maybe you're right, what you're saying? Because usually when people are, are either hating or disagreeing with people in the comments, they just want to stand to their own argument and they usually don't want to change because it's online, right? You're not face-to-face. -face, you don't have that interaction. How often do you see people actually changing their opinions because you actually have a proper conversation in the comments? I mean, it's one of the reasons why um, it's one of the reasons why a podcast is such an effective medium by which to do this type of communication because you're creating the conversation that someone can then listen to, and a lot of times that piece of missing information there is both missing information and misunderstood context and stuff like that. And again, it's not to say I understand everything; it's just to say that like the greatest success that I've had, in my opinion. Uh, is from the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast started in spring of 2013. And the sheer number of people who have gone on to start incredible businesses and incredible projects, uh, you know, who credit, at least in part, their early understanding of these technologies in the way that I do to that show. And so I think that it's less about looking at each individual interaction and saying, you know, how many people did I convince? And it's more in kind of the aggregate of, like if, if the effect of, of doing a show like this is that one person who doesn't understand something, but understand, you know, and, and is troubled by it, and then understands it better and has that context better, well, then that's a win right there. And my hit rate is way above one per episode, you know? So I think again, like the, if you try and, if you're like, hey, my goal is to change the world, that's a really, really hard goal. But if your goal is just to tell the truth and to help people understand how reality works a little bit better based on the work that, that I've done uh, so far, then I think that's very achievable. And I, I, I'm very happy with the results of, of that work. Wow. That, I'm, I'm very impressed, Adam. I think the approach that you're taking, it will help a lot, especially in this space that we are in, because I think especially AI is much faster than the other technology advancement <laughs> that we have ever seen. The speed is causing, I would say, both anger and fear at the same time because of the speed that we have. And people like you are really helping shape the picture and you know help people understand where yeah. we are heading. So yeah. I think that's super important. And it's it's funny, we watched one of your older, I think, podcast episodes or you were on uh, another person's podcast. You mentioned that you were in the blockchain space and you wanted to slow down. You went into the AI space and that's like three times so I don't know how you made that decision, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great what you're talking about, just educating people on that. And I want to talk about that because you've always, if you look at your track record, you've always been early uh, in, in almost everything you've, you've started. You know, when we talk about blockchain, when we talk about podcasting, you know, when you talk about AI, how do you think and why do you think you can see these trends or understand them better than most people do and, and be there earlier than most people like to be? There's a couple of reasons for that. Um, the first is that technologies that are disruptive serve people who are disenfranchised by the existing solutions much better and much more obviously than people who are happy with them, which is a long way of saying that if you look at the world of Bitcoin, for example, uh, but we'll talk about AI too. If you, look, if you look at the world of cryptocurrency, right? 
um, like the people who used the original sort of Bitcoin protocol before it was speculative and it was all about how much money can I make by investing, but just as a use, which was kind of my original uh, idea as well. Um, you know, they were people who were either libertarians, so they just fundamentally didn't like the way that the money system worked because they understood it. Uh, that was kind of the camp that I fell into. There were people who, you know, wanted to sell like used underwear on the internet, right? And if you <laughs> seriously, like, I, I'm not joking about that. Like, if you tried to do that through PayPal, it's not illegal to do that. But PayPal was like, well, that's gross. Like, why would we let you yeah. do that? We're not going to let you do that. So, like, again, like, so when you look at disruptive technologies, that's the important thing to understand is that, or one of them at least, is that the people who are going to be drawn to them are the people who are least well served by the existing system. So translate that over to AI artwork, um, right? And it's like people who can't draw uh, are best served by that. So it's most attractive to them. Transform that over to, you know, the chatbot stuff we're seeing today with, you know, like ChatGPT. And it's like people who don't have, you know, like millions of dollars lying around so that they can employ every single expert who you would want to ask questions to on an like, ongoing basis. I'm not saying the quality of ChatGPT is up to that level at this point, but the instinct is there, and that's super important. So once, that's one side of it is that uh, I am usually disenfranchised by existing systems. I'm very particular about the things that I like, and I'm always looking for more efficient ways to do work because if you know, I work constantly, and yet if I had my way, I would actually do very little you know, work, right? Like I'm, I'm a fundamentally lazy person who doesn't act at all like a lazy person because I haven't really found a way to accomplish my objectives while still being lazy. But if I get there, it's going to be because of these technologies. Um, so that's one side of it. Uh, another side of it is that I kind of wired my brain back, like I said, like 15, 18 years ago, somewhere in that range. I kind of rewired my brain such that the, all of the assumptions I had in my head were mostly not helpful and were a lot of times wrong to the point of misleading me to where, because again, like you go to school and they're like, this is how the world works. And then you get out of school and you actually have to in interact with the world. And it's like, well, that's not how the world works at all. Like that's this like <laughs> totally that's this simplistic yeah. model, right? Like that they, that that's just easier to teach, but then you yeah. get into it. It's like, well, this, this is nothing like that. And so again, like that, all of that stuff bred an intense distrust of authority. <laughs> um, and, and so that meant that I had to build my own mental models of this stuff, which meant I had to educate myself on this stuff. So again, learning about Bitcoin was, you know, in like 2011 was the process of like listening to like the three or four long form talks that were out there over and over and over again, right? Because there wasn't really much content and then just consuming as much as they could from forums and stuff like that, right? So you can start to build your own mental model because there's like, we're all lazy, like to, to the extent that we can be like, hey, just tell me what to think, right? Like if you would actually tell me what to think and it would be correct for me, then I would do that all day. And I think yeah. that most people do do that. But I think that the problem with that is that then your head gets stuck in these different sort of modes that are wrong. And what I've come to think of it as really it is like sports teams where, um, you know, where like you pick an ideological identity. So one of the things, for example, that people have always been like is, Adam, you're a Bitcoiner. I'm like, no, I'm not a Bitcoin. Like that's a like I have no problem with people identifying as Bitcoiner. But to the extent that you do is, in my opinion, to the extent that you, you create cognitive pain for yourself, if, if a piece of information comes across that conflicts with that, right? That conflicts with my beliefs as a Bitcoiner. And yeah. so I've always really rejected those types of, of affiliations. I don't join groups. 
You know, like I don't, I don't put on team jerseys like I like to say. And because of that, it means two things. One, it means I have effectively no faith in anything and I need evidence to support anything that I believe in. And two, it means that when a new piece of technology or a new possibility comes out, then I'm able to very quickly like reassess all of the questions mm-hmm. uh, that, that, you know, it's like all of these doors are closed because it's impossible. But what does this new piece of information or new piece of technology do? Which of these doors are actually open now? And a lot of times that's what you'll find. And so that's why, again, whether you're talking about podcasts in 2005, environmentally friendly food service packaging and bioplastics in 2008, 2009, Bitcoin in 2011, or AI about five years ago, and then starting a company about two years ago, um, you know, building within it. Uh, I've been early on those because I was able to say, okay, let's not focus on the current state of these technologies. Let's focus on the implications of what happens as these technologies grow and then plan and build for that world rather than the one that we can see today. So I still see that all over. Like people, I'm having a conversation right now with somebody on Twitter who I respect a lot and he's a a great, you know, opinion writer um, who is like, you know, people are going to think that these things are religions, but actually there's no cognition, right? Uh, like there's no human intelligence, there's no AGI, there's no path to that. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's true. But so far, the piece of data that we really have is that we know that human cognition, willpower, and you know, and desire emerges from having a physical corporeal body, right? And then just the na- the needs that are implicit to that and the instincts that are implicit to that drive the basics. And then from there, you can build a more complex structure of will and desires and needs on top of that. That's one way that we know how cognition and those things can emerge. Is that the only way that they can emerge? I don't think we have any proof of that. I think we just haven't seen it yet. And so it means that again, like that I take an agnostic approach to most things where I'm like, here's what I know. And then here's the bunch of stuff that I don't know. And so long as I don't know that I'm not really gonna make any hard decisions because that information is, will, and does change. So if the facts are presented to you, it's easy to change your mind, right? Can I say it's that? It's easy to change my mind if it's compelling. If it's compelling if, yeah. and it really does present a different type of, you know, it presents a different reality than the one that was previously there lacking that data and I can validate that data, then yes. But it, it just means that my general state is, is a presumption that to the extent that I know anything, it's a temporary piece of knowledge based on my current sort of structure. Uh, but that that could change. And so that's that it's very difficult to live your life that way in some ways. So an easier way to do it is to say, okay, here's the list of things that I know and I have an opinion about and that define a lot of kind of my belief structure and that I'm not ever going to re-examine, right? Uh, and that and, and then over here is everything else. And that that that's how I've been able to bifurcate it where it's like I've been married for for coming up on 17 years, I think. Um, wow. you know, and uh, and like that's a relationship that I'm so happy with. And I, you know, I don't even examine it. I have zero interest in that. And it's never been a problem as a result of that. I just set it off to the side. And that's not a thing that I really ever critically examine. So if it's great, then that's great. And if it's not great, then hey, that's okay too, right? And then over here is again, like everything where I need Power. constant evidence of. I mean, you know, like just being straight. <laughs> Yeah, you no, can see no. the head of AI blockchain still talking about marriage and say, I have no idea. No it's going great. No examination. Let's focus on AI and blockchain now. That's out of question. I love that. But it's it's much easier said than done. Your character, you know, just being open-minded towards all of these new things that are coming towards you and be willingly taking the the the, the step to understand them 
and whether they're positive or negative, you try to see how that's going to affect everybody. And and I, I think one, one thing that we really respect you for is that open-mindedness. And I think people who are either angry or, or they don't understand the technology and whatever's happening in the space right now, if they probably open their mind a little bit more to understand where it's going, I think that's going to be a lot easier to digest, right? Not to be a fan of what's happening. I'm not saying they should be positive or negative, but it's going to be much easier to digest what's going on than ignoring it. Or I have feel the like, conversation, right? You, yeah. Like sometimes you can't even have a conversation because what you are hearing is the same thing all over again and again. But yeah. if you can have the conversation and talk to people about what is really happening and what is the future going to look like, I yeah. think the conversation would be really different. I mean, you know, I just think it's okay for people not to be convinced. And I think it's okay for people to believe things that are wrong, you know, that I think are wrong, right? Like, mm -hmm. ultimately, the question is, like, like, what's the good that you'll do relative to the energy that you'll expend? And I think mm -hmm. that a lot of people get really stuck in this idea that if something, if they believe that something is true, then that is true. And I think that, I think that's just uh a flawed way to look at reality given how complex everything is so again like it's it's a perspective that has a lot of humility in it because i've been wrong a lot of the time right mm -hmm. and you know and uh so anyways like i i don't necessarily recommend it to other people uh you know understanding this stuff deeply doesn't necessarily make for a happy person <laughs> um, <laughs> right like you know understanding the way that things are terrible a lot of times is, is not great but i do take a very again specifically with technology I take a very, very optimistic lens to it because again, disruptive technology is fundamentally empowering and it's mm -hmm. empowering to a larger group of people than the, before the disruptive, before the disruption happened. But it's also uh, really important to be empathetic and yeah. to just to appreciate like that disruption is painful, right? Like nobody yeah. wants things to change. Like we, we would yeah. all like it if life would just stay the same and we could find a nice equilibrium and then we could, you know, like just, just live a nice life. But that's life. never the case though, is it? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult. Uh, it certainly is difficult, you know? And uh, like there are futures that present a real significant abundance and the ability to solve a lot of the problems that, that kind of plague us. But the challenge that a lot of times you run into with that stuff is that Scarcity breeds power because scarcity means that somebody or something needs to do allocation, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if there's just enough for everybody all the time for everything, well, there's no power in that, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, again, this gets into kind of questions of like how government systems work and stuff like that. And you don't want to have that conversation. With <laughs> so let's just skip right past it. <laughs> Well, I, I think, you know, this, this, like you said, this conversation can go a little bit longer and we can, we can get back into this. But I, I think we want to talk a little bit about Blockade Labs specifically, mainly yeah. because most of our audience would be definitely interested to hear about where you guys are at right now and what's the future like, especially because most of the audience that we have are 3D artists or developers. And I think one of the first questions that we have for you is, Considering essentially the role of 330 AI and Blockade Labs, you guys could have focused on, you know, generative text, generative, you know, just 2D images, audio, but you guys decided to go with 360 images as sort of like the opening. Why did you guys make that choice specifically? Yeah. So, um, so 330 AI was the, the first company that um, came out with, um, 
came out with uh, Discord uh, creation bots um, back in uh, when I was still incubating inside my other company, Tokenly, in I believe November of, um, of 2021. Um, which is what would go on to make uh, Midjourney uh, tons and tons of money and customers. <laughs> it was very funny, actually, because we looked at that and we were like, cool, this is great, but only nerds are going to use this. And I really wanted to create a product that would be for everybody. And so we embarked on building a, um, a co-creation platform, right? Because the very earliest version of these technologies, I was like, you know, this stuff's really cool. And I like I had my parents using it who are in their 70s. And I had, you know, like all of these older people who typically are just like, look at the stuff I do and are like, well, that's interesting, but I have no interest in it. Um, and they were just like, oh, this is amazing. This is great. Like my father making like basketball images and stuff like that, right? Like stuff that never is going to have any commercial use, but which is just fun. And creation is inherently fun. And that was a thing, again, coming from the blockchain space, I was I had spent five plus years uh, explaining to people about how money and ownership on the internet work and explaining to people why you would want to tokenize, you know, like car keys and all kinds of stuff like that. I did tons of writing about this. And then I spent about five years, like I said, doing like sales calls and business development for my company. And I was just so tired of having complicated conversations <laughs> where I would have to prove to people you know, why something mattered. Whereas with this, I was just like, oh, all I have to do is just show you this show you. and you know, and that was like, I was like, okay, that's a business that I want to be in now. <laughs> uh, and so <laughs> I'm tired of talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> I want to show people what you I mean, do. you know, I'm good at talking and I'm good at convincing people, but me talking more isn't going to solve a problem if, if it's not something that you feel. And there's something about creation that people feel. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just fun. And there's so much in the world today that is not in our control. Right. Um, that again, the ability to just be like, you know, a cat sipping a latte and just have that be something that you created right there. Like that's just mm -hmm. fucking cool. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, so that was kind of the reason to go down it. And then I created this platform, uh, pixel mind, which I love pixelmind.ai It's still up. Uh, which was basically taking those tools and saying, hey, let's acknowledge that like 99% of people aren't prompt engineers and that if they want to get something that's good, that they need to do something, there, there needs to be a thing there. And so I created this platform that would allow for uh, people who were really good with, with creating these prompts to create series. And then those series were basically Mad Libs where it's like a cyborg portrait of blah, blah, blah with this accessory or something. And then in the background, there's this complex prompt, you know, very finely tuned back in the days of VQGAN and stuff like that. You know, again, we were like starting from images and then modifying those. The first thing we ever did was this skull series where you'd modify the material of an anatomical skull to like lava or something like that. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so that was what I built. And then, uh, so fast forward a year. And, um, and so we're in, uh, you know, we're in like October of 2022. And, uh, you know, Midjourney and Stable Diffusion blew up over the summer and our technology also, because we we're just using like whatever the best stuff that's out there in the open source was, like our stuff was just getting better and better and better. But at the same time, it was obvious that like that, that moment when Stable came out uh, in uh, August, that was what I considered to be the 1.0 moment for AI artwork, where it was like, it didn't matter if you made it 50% better quality. It didn't matter if you made it 50% faster and cheaper. It was all good enough it was already fast enough about five seconds it was already mm -hmm. cheap enough and that and then at that point suddenly all these people who i've been talking to 
for years at that point who were like, hey, you know, like, I don't really see the value in this because the art isn't good enough. Suddenly we're like, oh man, I got to get into this. And so suddenly it went from like, we're all alone out there with maybe like mid journey and a couple of other companies to bam, total gold rush mode, everybody running for it as fast as they can. And I'm great at, uh, I'm great at creating product and doing it very, very inexpensively, not so good at raising money. And I was in the CEO role. And so I met Marguerite de Corcel, um, who, you know, who I'd actually known for about 10 years, but, um, uh, who's the uh, CEO of Blockade Games now Blockade Labs? And um, you know, and I was like, "Hey, you know, you're an artist who I know. Look at this thing that we're doing because we were doing two things. We were doing a music video uh, generator on the one side, um, right. and a uh, in uh, in October of last year, which now seems early. Um, <laughs> uh, and then uh, and then we were experimenting her with creating game assets on the other side. And within about three weeks, she was like, "Hey, can I just buy you?" And I was like. <laughs> I guess. And so, so <laughs> like, all right, like, okay. Um, and so long story short, you know, uh, like uh, we started working together very, very closely. It turns from an acquisition into a merger. Um, and, and we go to this event in New York uh, for uh, Union Square Ventures put on, which is a big VC. Um, and they had this private event uh, called Promptopia that we managed to get some invites to. And we go to New York, we go to this event, um, you know, we're just sitting in the audience, about 50 people there, there's a bunch of presentations. And the presentations just blew my mind. And that's totally unusual for me. Typically, I'm the person who blows people's minds. <laughs> you probably know about the presentation beforehand. <laughs> so the I mean, it was, it was unusual. I was a little bit of a stranger in a strange land in the world of AI. I didn't really have an AI background. I'm just, again, disruptive tech guy, right? And it's like, yeah. I, saw the, I saw the opportunity, went for it. But, but on this day, I saw a number of things, many of which still haven't been rolled out yet, which is like the first, you know, like AI powered, like reality TV show where people are creating like sims of themselves and then their sims go on dates with other people's sims and then they sit there and they watch the thing. And I was like, oh my God, that's a brilliant idea. And, uh, <laughs> and then on the other side, you know, uh, Runway ML, um, which is a great company out there that uh, I'm sure you guys have talked about before. Um, they showed off an interface that they still haven't rolled out yet, which was just a text interface. And so their product is essentially Adobe Premiere in a web browser, right, with AI tools. Mm -hmm. And this interface was saying, hey, instead of using drop-down menus and stuff like that, just type what you want. So they typed into that thing, you know, like, make it black and white, right? And suddenly the clip they're working on is black and white. And then they said, well, you probably think that we're taking what you put in here and we're doing a semantic search against functions we've already created. Um, and then we're finding the one that best matches it, replying that one. But actually what's happening is that when you put in that request, a custom function is being created for you by the AI over the course of one to two seconds. And so if you wanted to create a function that nobody would ever think about, like make it black and white and turn it into a four square and then also do something else crazy to it, right? Like that, that could be a single function that it would write. And, it, and if you say something like make it brighter, well, brighter is a subjective concept. So it knows that it needs to create a user interface component too with like a slider so that you can control it. And I was like, oh my God, like wow. that's, that's, that's the future. The future is, is so anyways, so there no, were, there no, we love that. That's no, that's a, that's great what you're talking about. Cause I know a lot of people watching there, you're probably blowing their minds right now. So there were a number of other things at this talk, at the, you know, this series of talks that, um, that just totally blew my mind. And I was like, you know what, like 
My strategy of building a platform that was very broad and that could serve all kinds of different use cases and different, you know, with APIs, because I was, I was always very much like, we're building an engine and then people are going to plug it into whatever vehicles they want. I don't care about the vehicles. I'm the engine guy. And what I came to understand was that that's a losing strategy <laughs> and that <laughs> you have to be a guy who's building a specific type of vehicle that's the best of whatever that type of vehicle mm -hmm. is. And so that then led to over the course of about three months, um, you know, the merger uh, with uh, the merger with Blockade Labs uh, to focus on the gaming space and then the identification of what the, the real attractive use case was. Because once you get into gaming, one of the things you find out is that there's so many different requirements and pipelines and different techniques and processes and everything has a different type of animation engine. And so originally uh, Blockade Labs is working on a game called Neon District that is a, like a 2D sort of um, like Final Fantasy style, you know, like a turn-based battler. And so we started off by producing, you know, like weapons, for example, that could be rigged immediately and used on a character. And we have these, all these ideas of like totally AI generated loot. And it's a great idea and stuff like that. But we realized pretty quickly that if we built that system, we would be building it just for Neon District. And if we wanted to build it for something else, that's almost an entirely separate project. And so my, um, my art director, Will, had been, I uh, was a big, you know, like drone enthusiast, 360 photography enthusiast. Um, and he had this kind of big collection. And on the side, he was using some of our spare compute to train some of these, uh, to train like a little model for it. And we started looking at that and we had created this other piece of technology, this other kind of fundamental breakthrough that allowed us to create uh, side scroller levels like in a Sonic game or something like that. Mm -hmm and to create them using AI and make them as long as you want it to, like an unlimited size, but keeping coherency on it. And so we had the ability to do really, really big levels or really, really big images that other people can't do because there's a whole bunch of reasons why. Um, and we had this model and we were going to ETH Denver and, and we were like, hey, you know, like, how about this little side project? We, you know, we, we put this thing together and then we'll get a, a big dome and then we'll have people go inside the dome and then we'll have them create worlds and then we'll project the worlds onto the inside of the dome and it'll be super cool and a demo of AI. So long story short, we build that out three weeks later. It was very fast built. Um, <laughs> three weeks later, we can't get the dome because the fire marshal um, has, has denied the, the request. Oh no. So, <laughs> but, but since we started building the thing, we were like, this is much better than the level designer that we're creating. <laughs> and if you wanted to use these things in a game, rather than us needing to adapt for every single pipeline, there's like three different formats that we need to provide, mm -hmm. right? And, and they can all be generated basically the same. And it's like a one-step process. So we're like, ah, this is maybe the thing. And so we, mm -hmm. we put it out there and it immediately blew up. I've spent most of my time obsessing over having a product that's really ready and that screwed me so many times so <laughs> it was great that i wasn't in charge because again like marguerite's perspective is hey let's just be out there building in public and when we went we talked to all the big vcs in november last year we went to helsinki for slush and talked with a16z and galaxy and everybody else and their mother um and uh, and and they were all like yeah how's your twitter doing and we're like how's our twitter doing like who cares about yeah. our Twitter? Like, here's the product when you solve this problem. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but 
but how's your Twitter doing? And so, oh so God. anyway, so we're like, okay, well, these people are making decisions based on traction and they're making decisions based on that. And really this is numbers essentially, right? Yeah. So I they, mean, they cared more about the attention that was on your product rather than the problem you were solving. Surprisingly so, yeah. I think that, again, it's because, again, the space is moving so fast and nobody knows how to validate, right? Nobody knows how to validate their assumptions. But something going viral on Twitter, like this last release that we did, uh, I guess, two weeks ago now, um, you know, of the sketch mode, like, that is the most viral thing I've ever seen by, like, a substantial margin. There were tens of thousands of retweets across all of the different posts. And it was, again, it was totally wild. And as soon as that happened, you know, suddenly... Here's another flood of like 50 or 60 like cold outreaches from venture capital firms, you know, who are just like apparently only watching Twitter. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> hey, to, we saw your Twitter polls. Now we're interested. No. Let's go. It's very, very funny. It's very so funny. Are you guys like, so, yeah. so are you guys like, you didn't want us that time. Now you cannot you have can't us, get us right now. No. <laughs> it's, a, it's, an, it's an interesting, weird world right now. Again, like. You know, from a macroeconomic standpoint, it's a terrible time to be raising money. Like it's really, yeah, yeah. really bad just yeah, because 100%. like stuff is hard, inflation is insane, a lot of uncertainty out there. And and VC investments are fundamentally like, you know, like, hey, the world is predictable to a certain extent. And I think that based on that predictability, here's this, you know, here's this thing and this could go. Uh, but it's just really hard to have that happen. Now, AI is better than that. But even so, you're seeing people largely build uh, like bet on people rather mm -hmm. than on projects or specific solutions. And that's another kind of symptom of this. So anyways, that's uh, that's kind of how it went. And now every time we do a release, you know, like we, we've kind of accepted the fact that first off, the thing we're building doesn't really exist. Second off, Skybox as a word doesn't really capture what we're doing. They're more like, you know, again, like nascent environments. I think I talked to you guys about this. Like we think about them like snow globes mm -hmm. um, and that kind of snow globe thingness about it uh, is, is a better way to think about it. Um, and, and third, like nobody knows the correct interfaces for any of this. Everybody is just making it up. And so we're like, well, if everybody's just making it up, let's make something that's really simple and then add a bunch of powerful stuff to that. And so that's where we are. We're probably about halfway through the powerful stuff part. But interestingly, the powerful stuff actually gets easier, right? Because right now, if you want to take control, you have to know how to draw at least a little bit. In the future, you're not going to need to know how to draw. Uh, you know, in the future, not too distant, you're going to need to still understand how to like what to place stuff the way that you want it so that you get the correct perspective and stuff like that. You know, in the not too distant future after that, you're not even going to have to do that. You're just going to talk to a chatbot and the chatbot is going to know exactly how the application works. It's going to draw whatever you want for it. You know, you want it to and it's going to basically just be able to be your agent, uh, you know, to use the tool. And I think that that's how a lot of this stuff is going to wind up working as we move forward. So for those who are listening, what, what Adam was explaining with Blockade Lab, they just released it last week. There's sketch mode, which you can use contour lines mm -hmm. to actually draw and then generate a 360 image. Yeah. Recently, they also updated the negative terms, which you can now exclude mm -hmm. certain prompts from what you are creating. So I think one thing about Blockade Labs and what you guys are doing is shipping updates quite frequently. So I think the sketch mode came out first and then now the negative terms and also even more sort of categories that uh, so many fucking categories, categories like, yeah. which one am i gonna choose <laughs> like you guys are adding more every fucking time i'm like visiting the website and, and now which the is great and then now the depth map is available too yeah so what sort of like i think what people would be really interested in is like when the meshes are coming in we will have 3d environments what sort of vision that you guys have for this uh 
I was snow globe that you guys are making. Starting and, uh, as yeah. this, but where is it going in yeah. Adam's vision? Yeah. So um, an important concept to understand about this stuff is that not not just the stuff I'm working on, but disruptive technology generally is that when you're looking at a disruptive technology, the obvious improvements that it can make are almost always optimizations to the way that we do things today or the way that we've done things historically. Um, and there are lots of different innovations that can come from that. But the, the sort of the true opportunity of disruptive technology is to set the way that we do things to the side and say, okay, that's how we used to do things with the old Gibbons. Mm -hmm. If we were inventing that new that process today to accomplish whatever we're trying to accomplish, how would we build it if we had all the knowledge and all the technology that we do today? And a lot of times what you'll find out is that they're really different, right? Both of them are improvements uh, relative to the status quo, but the, the true opportunity to really disrupt things is on the inventing a new type of process, right? So when you're talking about, um, when you're talking about AI, for example, uh, in the world of text, like uh, like uh, scriptwriters and stuff like that uh, that exist out there, right? How do they position themselves? They position themselves as um, as it's an AI that's helping a human to write. But the challenge of that is that the human doesn't know how to write, <laughs> right? <laughs> like the human doesn't know how to how to how to write a formal script most of the time, or doesn't know how to write, you know, like some like a novel, something like that, mm -hmm. right? But they have an intuitive sense of the story. Right. They understand at least the outline of the story. And then when they hear an idea that is right, then they're like, aha, that's that's right. So the human is well positioned to both set the narrative and then to judge the work done by the AI. Yeah. So the disruptive way to think about that type of generator, and I've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of days, is to not think about it like the AI is helping the human, but like the human is helping the AI. And if you look at it from that perspective, then you are looking at such a more efficient system and a system that has so much less frustration in it, um, you know, relative to the AI trying to help the person who fundamentally doesn't know how to do the activity. And you can think about this a lot like, um, you know, like uh, self-driving cars, like it's the same type of thing, right? Like as humans, the thing that we are really, really skilled at is understanding what we want. <laughs> what we want to accomplish. But the getting from, I want this to it's true, that's a little harder. And there's a lot yeah. of things that can go wrong in that. So so again, it's a, it's an example of, of that. Did I answer the question? I may have gone off on a tangent. No, I yeah. think I think you, you answered somehow. But I think what we really wanted from that question is also, can people expect uh -huh. 3D meshes and all those things coming out. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I went no, no, too deep no, no. into philosophy. <laughs> no, that yes. was no, that was great. We we love that because that's uh, again, uh, like you mentioned, we talked about this for this podcast. Our goal is for people to have more awareness of what's going on, and I think the way you look at the technology, especially coming from someone who's working in that space and creating and innovating, it's really important to know what's your approach. And I think people, some people might disagree with you, some might agree with you, and I think that's the beautiful part about it, right? And Thank you for sharing that. But yeah, just going back to yeah, that question. The I, guess, so, I got you. <laughs> yeah, the, the actual technicality. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so yeah. we're starting with 360 snow globes right now. Where, where is this going for you? Yeah, so, so blockade's vision, broadly speaking, can be described as the term that we call text to game. That's like the long-term vision around this. And the idea here is that the way that we, the way that we do games right now 
is fundamentally a product of the limitations. The existence of, of game engines, for example, like Unreal Engine 5 and the way that they exist today is because if you want to build a game, you also need to build you know, a platform that will house the game and a world that the game will live in and contextualize it. And all of that stuff is pretty hard. Um, so a lot of games don't get made and a lot of games that do get made are ones that can be executed on rather than they're the most interesting possible version of that thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when we think about kind of the narrow area of environments in that big stack of games, so let's just back up for a second and say, the text to game basically means that in five years, call it, but maybe it's more like two, you will be like, hey, I want a, a prototype of a game that's a third person zombie game set in Victorian Europe, you know, with only mice as characters and rats as bad guys and all the lines are sung uh, because it's a musical also, right? Like, so, so that's your prompt. <laughs> if you were going to try to build that in real life, that's like six months worth of stupid work that you got to do in order to yeah. figure it out, right? Because there's so yeah. much in that. But, but in this future, you put that in, that's your prompt, and then you arrange or an AI arranges different modules beneath that. And the prompt filters down from one module to the next. So here it builds up the game mechanics, here it builds up the physics system, here it builds up the economy. Here it builds up the balance mechanic, different archetypes, et cetera, all the way down sort of uh, to the list. So, so at the end of that, in like hours or days, you know, you've got a prototype that you can play and then you can see if it's fun or not. And so the ultimate goal here is for the process to become one where execution is not the barrier and it's idea and it's the sort of power of, of kind of what you can create that stands out, right? Because it's if everybody can do a thing, then the only version of the thing that has any value is a thing that's really interesting and really fun and really good. And that's the world that I think we're walking towards. Okay, so that's really big picture. Zooming in on environments, uh, environments right now are created as they are using procedural generation and other techniques in a way that makes a lot of sense for where we are, which is that it's hard to create assets, it's hard to arrange assets, it's hard to build worlds and it's really time consuming. And so we've, we've accepted the conceit that we have to build the stuff in our world. We have to do that. If, if you want a couch in your world, you got to build a couch first. If you want a grass texture in your world, you got to build that grass texture first. And then we use procedural generation and automation to assemble them in ways that are compelling and feel natural to abstract much of the complexity of actually building it out. So the way that our technology works is that because it's a purely generative basis, um, you can create these snow globes and everything that's in that snow globe didn't have uh, the texture created for it in advance, didn't have the asset created for it in advance. They're all created dynamically. And typically, if you were going to create an environment, then it's like up here at the very top of the process is concept art and down here at the very bottom of the process is, um, you know, the full kind of completed game experience and stuff like that. And the, the concept art is in many ways the easiest part because it doesn't have to have that interactivity built into it. So now you take how AI works and you kind of turn that on its head and you say, all right, so if AI is effectively a fancy form of autocomplete, right? We're predicting the next parts of it. Then that means that if we can create the easy part, we can create the concept art, you know, standing in the middle of that snow globe um, and looking around, then, uh, then, uh, then, once we've created that, we can actually, rather than that being the uh, easiest part, that is actually the hardest part. It takes us about 10 seconds of, of computational time on powerful GPUs to create it. 
And then from there, we can infer the depth information, the 3D-ness of the thing through one of a variety of methods over the course of somewhere between a tenth of a second to a half a second. So you're looking at an efficiency of going from the 2D-ness to the 3D-ness that is somewhere between, you know, like 20 times faster and 100 times faster. And so again, like in a traditional process, that's totally weird. The idea yeah. that you would be able to generate 3D from 2D is a stupid idea. But in AI, it's just the way that it is. And for each piece of information you add to that, so now you've got the, the, the 2D image and you've got the depth that associates with it, which then allows you to infer more. You can turn it into a kind of VR native thing, right? Where you take the depth information and then you create a perspective that's slightly to the side of it. And now you have two different perspectives and you can start to use it kind of with binocular vision and stuff like that. And so you continue to play that out, right? Like one of the problems, of course, is that when you, you know, like you're, you're in a snow globe and there's a bookshelf over there. Well, you know that there's a bookshelf, you can see the front of it from your position, but there's nothing behind it because that wasn't generating the 2D image. But if we have the 3D, if we have the 3Dness coming from this side, and we have the, uh, you know, in the binoculars coming from this side, and then we have the 2D part coming from this side, then we can combine those together with other technologies to infer what should be behind the bookshelf, right? And so we've already seen, I think last week, uh, an API user launched a version that uses our depth maps and uses our, our scenes and then applies shaders to create worlds that you can run around in kind of Zelda is style that right sky, now. Sky glass? Is that, is no, that no, sky, sky glass is something else. Sky glass is like a, it's like a virtual green screen application. Right. This one like for is virtual a, production, right? That's for virtual that's production. Right. No, this is the project is uh, is from a company called Illumin. Uh, I L U M. -I -N -E. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we saw that. We saw the post. Yeah, we saw yeah. the post. Yeah. yeah. So that's so that's like that's that's a kind of early expression of this. Like these things are fundamentally two D, and yet right. they can behave as if they're three D with not even very sophisticated integrations at this point. Like that's again, like he's been working on that for a while, uh, and has been focused on that part of it. But again, like it's his one man team unfunded, right? And was able to pull this off very, very quickly. So that's where we are right now with the thing is that it's 2D, but we make it 3D. And then once it's 3D, then you can do all kinds of things with it. And where this is going kind of at the end of the day is towards a new kind of paradigm, in my opinion, of um, you know, world creation, where rather than worlds being created again through this entirely procedural, you know, like uh, placing the stuff lens, I think that it's going to be that worlds will be created by, as the user is standing in the snow globe, they will instead be a character. And as they move around the world, the snow globe will follow them, generating sort of whatever it is that, that hasn't yet been generated. And then I think that that opens up the possibilities for both user-created worlds in ways that we've really never seen before. And I think also, again, there's really meaningful synergies between procedural, um, like, uh, procedural generation where once you've generated the the uh, environment, kind of whatever it is, then you can place kind of items within that, kind of create gameplay mm -hmm. within that. So that's the, it's, a, it's a long way to say that in this big vision, we're focused on environments, and we're probably a year to a year and a half out from from sort of the the full vision being realized uh, on that side. But we're working towards it as quickly as we can. The, the description you mentioned about the snow globe and as you walk, th that sort of world is being generated. It reminds me of the way old games used to work where like you just see fog. You don't see all the, like when you're playing like the old Spider-Man or something, you just see the next few apartments. You don't see after that. And like that's the sort of mentality I had when you, when you brought that up. But it's definitely interesting what you're talking about. And just looking at how things are developing, 
that's definitely something that is is possible just looking at the way things are moving right now and i you mentioned you know uh the the different visions and goals that you guys have for where this is going to go and you also mentioned that you know you're guessing this is going to be about two years from now i mean it could potentially change probably maybe even earlier you never know because things are moving super fast one thing we want to ask you because from you know someone watching from the outside everything looks perfect like what you guys are working on the the growth is just fast we're seeing all these developments but i'm sure you guys are facing loads of challenges along the way what are as someone who's leading um one of the the biggest projects in ai especially in this space what is one of the biggest challenges that you guys have faced or currently facing right now that you're trying to solve focus focus is the <laughs> i mean seriously like it's it's an easy answer but it's the most important thing i could possibly say here is again you know like blockchain was really fast blockchain surprised me with how fast it was um ai is an order of magnitude faster than that but what it means is that when you're when you're trying to decide about planning for the future, you kind of need to be able to predict out what the capabilities are, or at least what the capabilities might be. And the reality of it is, is that that's almost impossible in the world of AI right now. There's so much simultaneous development going on, and there's so much sort of um, really wild out there, low-hanging fruit that people are tapping into. So, uh, so that's the most challenging part, is that a new piece of technology will come out, we'll be like, oh, we could use this for that. That solves that problem. But to the extent you turn and focus on that, it always comes at the cost of something else. And yeah. so yeah. again, like the AI moment right now is very much a race. Um, again, we've mm -hmm. seen over and over again that when these things are possible, it's a lot less about who, uh, you know, who does it. And it's a lot more about who does it first and who does it in a way that captures the imagination of the world that's interested in that. And I think that that's a thing that we've done very effectively is I think at yeah. this point, you know, when you're looking at the type of environment creation work that we do, you know, there are other players who are out there doing it differently, but the way that we're doing it is unique. And we're doing so much of it in public and we're sharing so much of what's kind of going on in our thought process that it's allowed people to be like, okay, these are the people that I watch to see what's coming next. And I think that that's really, really powerful. And I think hilariously, you know, it's what, it's what makes companies right now uh, a lot more than product. Like you can have the best product in the world, um, but if you can't capture the imagination of people and you can't kind of show them something that surprises and delights them, then I think that you failed for the moment. That's that's very true. But Adam, does going viral and, you know, because you guys are all out, you know, the, your tweets, the Instagram, everything, people are talking about it. Does this virality hit the focus as well because now there is a lot of expectation you get a lot of comments and i'm not talking about like hate comments or anything but people genuinely have ideas and now or, or expectation from you guys does that hit the focus too it helps the focus in a lot of ways um because you know my personal tendency is to be like well i don't really understand anybody else in the way that i understand myself so let me just think about how i want to use this tool and that's correct for building something that has um, like uh, ideological coherency, <laughs> right? Mm. Uh, but it's not necessarily the thing that's building the right thing, right? So, so I think one of the best things we've done is we've made it very easy for people to leave feedback for us, both in the forms of bug reports, comments, stuff like that at the bottom of the, the application, which is free and just generally available. Um, you know, uh, like there's a, there's a form there. We get feedback constantly. And a lot of the feedback mm. is stuff that it's just surprising. Like for, for example, 
Um, one of the most common requests that we get is somebody will write in and they'll say, hey, I love what I created. I downloaded it, but it's a flat image. Where's the video? And what they're expecting, of course, is like a .mp4 video that's like a slow pan of the thing. And to us, we're like, well, obviously it's an image. Like the whole point is that this is an image and you can do whatever you want with it. But for them, that that's not that doesn't suit the need, right? So in uh, so we we finally have uh, some paid account uh, features coming out uh, in about two weeks. And one of the first batches of features we'll have coming out is a save as menu that allows you to save it as an HDRI or save it as a, you know, as a video, um, you know, that's, that's going to be easy to put on your Facebook page and show, you know, your creation to your grandma and stuff like that. Mm. And so again, it's just like, like, I don't think that there are right features for any of this stuff. I think it's really just a question of like, what do people want and what is the audience that's yeah. here? Cause the audience that I'm really interested in the medium term is the professional audience, the professional audience. Again, like I think that, we're going to open up who can be a professional in this by an order of magnitude, somewhere between 10 and 100 times relative to what people, you know, out there who consider themselves professionals now. Uh, but we don't have that audience right now. Right now, we have the mid-journey audience is probably like 85%, something like that of our users, right? People who just want to create something cool, it's fun, share it with their friends, you know, use it in a, you know, go to spatial or something like that. There's a bunch of these different tools out there that let you create like little mini, mini worlds and stuff like that. And so like very, very easy, low lift, no code stuff. Um, but ultimately, I think the, the real power of all of this is putting this into the hands of professionals. And in order to do that, they have very specific needs, both in terms of quality and in terms of process. And it just has to make sense. It has to obviously make sense. Otherwise, why would you reinvent the wheel? So, um, so that's where we're, where we're going uh, with it. But yeah, uh, again, like the, the meshes conversation uh, has been one of the most requested features it is something that we're working on, but it's going to be incremental. We're like, right now you can get certain parts of it, then you'll be able to download incomplete meshes, then you'll be able to download complete meshes, then you'll be able to, again, kind of like uh, move around, so to speak, and then have things being dynamically created for you. That We still have hard problems to solve on that side, so I'm not promising that on any time frame, but that's that's the vision. Um, it's, it's definitely interesting what you brought up and we've seen you chat about this on, on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. There's been people asking you similar questions. Um, Blockade Labs and what you guys are doing is definitely revolutionary. And the, the vision that you just described is, as 3D artists, is definitely an exciting one. Now, it's definitely, for some people, it could be scary to, you know, know that, you know, we've been working on development your whole life and suddenly someone else can come and type in a prompt and be able to develop as good as you, perhaps. But I think, again, like you mentioned, it's, it's, it's a disruptive technology. It excites some people. It empowers you know, some. And for some, they might have to learn a new skill or they might have to adapt or potentially use this since they have the skills already to be better than the ones who don't. And I think that's how we, we look at it as well. So just this is just a personal question. From what I understand, the future of environment creation is definitely something that you guys are looking at. Uh, but also... As, as, as a 3D artist, I want to know, is, do you think that it will be possible in the future where like in Blockade Labs, when you're typing in, you know, the prompt for your game, for your environment, you will also have like the rigging and the animation and all that stuff as well. Do you also see that as the future or no, purely environment creation? Yeah. Because so, rigging is like a whole different process, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that all these hard problems are going to get solved. And I think that the companies that do it are typically going to be companies that specialize in on it. And then I think, again, like, you know, the front end of uh, skybox.blockadelabs.com 
like that's a great way to interact with the tool, but it's not the way to interact with the tool. The way to interact with the tool really is however is helpful to you, right? Because again, like to a certain extent, we've created a service and then that service is useful to our users in certain ways, but integrated into other things is also very useful. We mentioned Skyglass earlier. They were our first API customer. And that's an application that's like a virtual recording studio, right? And then it automatically green screens you and then you can use uh, their API integration of our technology to create any type of scene you want. And then you, you know, take a selfie and you know, do a video and you've got that scene behind you. And as you move around, yeah. it's using your gyroscope, stuff like that. So that's one thing. Another thing that I saw the other day that's really cool that I think, it, again, like it's still super early, but where it's going is really interesting, um, is this thing called MovieBot, which is an iOS app. Um, their integration of our technology is rolling out in like, uh, I don't know, it's rolling out in a couple of weeks, I think they said. But basically, it's like, if you want to create a little animated scene, then all you do is you type in, you know, a conversation about sardines, and mm -hmm. then you, uh, like, pick the background, so the background can be one of ours, and you pick the characters, you pick their voices, and then you pick, is this a sitcom, is this a, you're like, what is it? Then you press the button, and then it takes all the stuff that you've done, and it, puts uh, a little scene together where you've got like this penguin talking to that penguin about sardines. And the whole thing really was just you saying a conversation about sardines and then picking some random stuff. And then it just did it. And it looks, you know, as good or better than a lot of the kind of 3D animation that you see out there. It's still very early, but it, again, it just like the, right now our thoughts are very constrained typically as a society around around the people who already do these activities. And like the in Hollywood right now, I don't know if it's still going on, but there was a Writers Guild strike. Um, and a lot of it was because of their concerns about AI. And they should be concerned because yeah. the union has a monopoly on this stuff and that monopoly is very powerful to them. But ultimately, everybody loves telling stories. Like find me a person out there who's like, yeah, I hate stories. Like that's the one thing I don't like. Like it's really hard to find. Uh, but yeah. the challenge is the ability to tell that story in a way that is compelling to others and to develop it, that's a real skill. And it's that part of the skill that, that's kind of going away. So, you know, the, the thing that I like to keep in mind and that keeps me I think, pretty sane is that it doesn't matter what we do and it doesn't matter what we think. It already happened. The disruption, it like the wave, the tidal wave, like the, the meteor already fell, the tidal wave's already coming. It's irrelevant what we do today, it's happened. And so if you have that as, as a mindset, then it means that people who really, really fight against this stuff, like that's sad um, and it's not a good use of their time, but it's not about the thing, it's about them and it's about what it means to them and their fears about it. And all of that's totally reasonable, very human stuff. People who are super excited about it, same thing. Like there's so many people who are like, oh my God, my life is gonna get so much better because of this. Yeah, probably. I mean, like that's a future that could happen. But again, that's mostly about you and it's mostly about kind of where you are with it and how you feel about it, how you feel about things as they are today. Mm -hmm. I, that's why I'm in that camp because I think there's a lot of stuff that's really wrong with with how things work today and especially how we're how we're educated, how we're how we're you know managed, how we're led. All of those problems are, are significant problems. And to the extent you can disrupt and disintermediate that, I think the world gets to be a better place because fundamentally we've never been so connected. Even before AI, just the existence of the internet means that you and I can, you know, you guys can have this conversation with me in a way that we never could have if we were talking about this 10 or 15 years ago. Um, 
so you know so uh yeah the the meteor already I, hit and now we're just waiting no i i think what you said is really i think is really accurate about that ai it's here it has happened but i really want to know so what's your advice to someone who's working now a really uh how do i say process it driven. process driven work and he his work can be easily replaced by ai endangered by ai right now and, and what should they do and what they should focus on yeah i mean it's a good question um like there's no right answer to this but my answer um is to is again like so we're kids right and when we're kids we're told we can do anything and we can be anything then you get into real life and it's like, oh, well, that's true so long as I also do this other stuff, which is going to take up most of the time that I would do any of this stuff that I really want. All this other stuff doesn't have to exist anymore in the future that's coming. And the thing that you really want can exist. And so sort of um, much, much more easily, right? Like I said, like I'm an ideas guy. That's always been my, my kind of thing. And I really am not great at execution. But these AI technologies make it so that I can execute independently. I've never started a company before where I didn't have a technical co-founder. And I think that if I'm doing a company in two years, I don't think I will need a technical co-founder. I think I will want a technical co-founder, but I don't think I will need one. Um, I think that, you know, and then I talk to other friends who like are on the other side of the table and they're like, well, I'm really good at execution. I know how to build businesses and stuff like that. But if you ask me for a creative idea that would actually be interesting to anybody that hasn't been thought of a million times, I'm never going to give you that. And for them, they use the AI technology as a way to, to iterate and to improve their idea creation process, right? They still want the idea of people because that's an important kind of skill and mindset that's different from execution. But, but again, the fact that AI is both of those things already to, to different types of people, again, suggests that, that the world becomes one where what do you want to do? What do you care about? What is important, right? Like if you could have any type of outcome you wanted, what would that outcome be? And what is the kind of possibility or path for it? Not assuming the level of technology today, but assume that, you know, in three years, we're still, you know, we're at the end of this kind of rapid, rapid pace of exponential growth. Like the world is going to be wildly, wildly different at that point. So, um, so that, that's, that's how I think about it is, like, it's not like, hey, learn to code. It's not like, hey, you know, like start an AI company, whatever. It's just imagine a world where execution isn't like an expensive, you know, schlep of a challenge, you know, or on the other hand, your ability to hone your idea isn't a horrible problem. And then what does the world look like then? And I honestly don't know the answer to that. But I think it's one where a lot of ideas that are great ideas and a lot of, you know, a lot of things, a lot of execution that's executing well on an inferior idea. I think that these things sort of merge together and, and everything gets better just because it doesn't make sense for it to be worse. You can do it either way now and either way, like it, it can work. So I, that's, that's really hand wavy. I appreciate it, but, but I think you get the point. No, no, the, the way you, put it in the very beginning of, of the, the what you were just talking about, how like when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? And now AI probably is going to empower you to be that person. If you wanted to be a writer, you can now be a writer if you really wanted to, right? It removes all the barriers, right? Like yeah. you don't need a team to build something. You don't need 
I mean, if you want, you can have it, but yeah. you know, you can you can do it all with the help of AI now. And I think it's uh, what you mentioned as well. It, it, I I think this is my opinion at least. It's all about perspective. As an artist myself, let's say there's different categories of things that I have to do if I want to finish an animation and there's one part that I suck at. Let's say UV unwrapping, right? If AI is going to solve that problem for me, I'm going to be fucking stoked. I'm going to be happy. But then if AI starts to do the other things that I think I'm good at, then that's going to become scary for me and I think that's exactly what's happening. But for the newer generation that is going to be like, you know, the younger, the very younger generation that is going to come about, they're probably going to just be in love with AI because like all the stuff that is going to be possible with AI, they can just, you know, use that to empower themselves. And so it's definitely going to be really interesting. One thing we wanted to talk to you about as someone who is, you know, just played around with so many tools uh, in the AI world. What is your most favorite AI tool to use? What's like in your suit of AI tools that you you have every day, essentially in your workflow? I mean, honestly, it remains ChatGPT. ChatGPT. <laughs> I've been using. I mean, I know it's a boring answer, but like I've been using you know those technologies since GPT two. That was when I first started working with that and started trying to build radio dramas. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because uh, again, like a podcast guy, I used to listen to tons of radio dramas when I was a kid. And really enamored with the idea, but don't like doing all the work. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so you know, I've been trying to use, uh, I've been using lots and lots of different things, um, you know, to try and accomplish that goal. And really, it just became kind of a barometer for me to test how good is this relative to other things. And we're like, you know, we're like one version away from this being really, really good. And actually, I've been uh, playing around with this just like little experiment that this guy created. Uh, that takes GPT 3.5 and GPT 4 and it it puts it into like a long form content creation thing. And it's it's super fascinating to me because, um, you know, because like I've tried pseudo write and I've tried all these different types of, you know, like AI, like writing assistants, like shortly read, like AI dungeon all the way back in the beginning. Mm. And they were all kind of terrible. And (laughs) this guy who's just like this 70 year old retired guy created something in like 30 or 40 hours that like I had to like debug with chat GPT to get it working. I'm like one of like three people who's gotten it working, but it's the best approach to this thing I've ever seen. And the fact that that can be true, the fact that like, that, you know, like you can have all these companies out there who have millions and tens of millions of dollars of funding, but they're still doing it wrong because nobody knows what they're doing. And this retired guy gets it right. And at least in my opinion, just blows my mind. Um, so, so I, you know, I sign up for tons of tools. I've got, you know, tool I'm paying 50 oh bucks gosh. for, for, uh, 50 bucks a month to do like long form PDF ingestion and then talking <laughs> to it. And, you know, I've got probably three or four different tools that I use that are like agent GPT type type systems where it's like, you give it tasks and then it does the tasks and you love, I love seeing those tools because they show you the thinking process and the thinking process is usually wrong. One of one of my favorites is like, I'm like, Hey, write a, write a 2000 word, uh, short story about, uh, the combining elements of, uh, of Jurassic park, uh, disruptive technology descriptions, uh, Peter Klein's novel 14, which is like this occult, you know, like adventure thing. And then also Barbara Brennan's, human electric field understanding, right? Which is this- Poor this, AI. Yeah, exactly. Like something really hard, really hard. And, you know, and it's just, it's just great because on the one hand, a lot of times it'll come out with stuff that's kind of awesome, but anyway, it goes, 
being able to see the, like it thinks it needs to create this task and it needs to research this and it needs to do that. And here's its conclusions. And it's like, it's, you know, like I don't have any kids, but I imagine it is like having a child and, and, and like watching them try to do something and it's totally wrong the way that they're doing it, <laughs> but you see all of the instinct that's there and you see the, the kind of the seed of the thing that will eventually be really the right answer. And that's what I see with AI constantly out there right now, but never more so than the agent GPT, the baby AGI, you know, like all that stuff. And the other thing that, that's uh, a little hilarious to me is that there are so many of these projects that are out there where I'm like, this is the best version of this thing I've seen. And then I, I reach out to the person, I'm like, hey, like, are you like looking for investment? Cause I could connect you to some people. And they're like, Oh no, like, but let me know if you want any, if you know anybody who wants to be the founder on this thing who I can hand it off to. And it's just well, like, what? they're just like building Why? it. They're just like building it in their spare time. And giving it away. Yeah. And like, like wow. apparently willing to, I, I emailed that guy back. That was uh, the do anything <laughs> machine, uh, do anything machine.com, which is one of those agent GPT ones. And I emailed him back. And so, yeah, he hasn't responded to me, but I was, you know, cause like I could probably find, you know, a, a founder or two who would want to take on something like that. And it's just, again, like, I, I, you never see this. You never see a space where it's like the best expressions of the idea and technology are just a dude who doesn't even care and is just doing it because he can and it's fun. And then over here's the companies that are trying to do it and they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars per month, you know, like on team and stuff like that. But they're operating like companies. And as a result, it's very difficult. Yeah. It is very difficult to be a company in space. <laughs> uh, again, yeah, for, yeah. for kind of all those reasons. Uh, but we're pulling yeah. it off at, uh, at Blockade, so I can't complain <laughs> too much. What you mentioned it is crazy, like how people are really pushing the boundaries with AI and you know, coming up with new ideas. But do you think we can push the boundaries too far with AI one day? I mean, so like... In the U.S., there's like this constant refrain of, um, you know, like, oh, well, somebody could hack the U.S. power grid, right, or something like that. And to the extent that that's true is to the extent that the person and, the you know, the systems and organizations that structured how the power grid would work totally fucked up, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Yeah. like like you've done something wrong if that's a weakness in your power grid system. It should not be connected in that way. And and again, I think it's much the same with AI. It's that like the thing that people are concerned about, and I just watched uh, last night, I, I watched um, Terminator Genesis, uh, which is just oh an absolute mess. I to talk to you what about a, this. What a great time to watch <laughs> this movie. <laughs> Literally are you biting night. your pillow? Like, I, uh... What a mess of a movie. Oh my God. Like, I've never, I've never, anyways, without getting into it, it's a mess of a movie. But the point is, is that their whole premise for why Skynet in this future version takes over is because it's an app that it's on everybody's phone. And also DARPA has put it into the missile defense system, right? And it's like, no, just don't do that. Just like, yeah, don't do that. Just don't, don't, don't set those things up. So, um, so I'm not really concerned about AI. I am concerned about stupid human behavior, especially at the highest yeah. levels. So the bad of power actors, the yeah, that it's the less bad, bad actors, actors using it. I really think it's more just stupid. I think that that again, like <laughs> that that the challenge of disruptive technology, as I said up front, is that it it breaks the monopoly that people have who are in power in that particular area, and 
That's a scary thing if you're somebody who's sitting atop the world right now and who has a lot of power. AI threatens you in a lot of ways. Um, and it threatens you specifically because if you don't control it, if you aren't the only person or you and your buddies aren't the only people who have it, then it empowers everybody in ways that effectively negate. Like, again, uh, like in the US, the way that we do um, our government is we have a representative government, right? And the government is not only a, a, a constitutional republic, which means that we elect representatives and those representatives then go and they argue with each other and they make laws that they say are good for us. Um, but the challenge is, is that if you look at like 250 years ago, the amount of people who an individual representative would represent was like thousands of people to maybe tens of thousands yeah. of people, and in some cases, hundreds. So even then, that's not great. That still means that you have a lot of people who like that they can be doing it for the majority of people, but still mm -hmm. you can wind up with results that piss off a lot of people. But yeah. again, in an AI future where you've got AIs running on your phone, we could just literally have an AI representative for every single human. And then we could be like, well, here are the things that I care about. And then you tell your AI, and then your AI goes to Washington, right? And then they all argue with each other. And you never have to be involved oh, wow. with anything, right? There's no humans <laughs> to corrupt. that, actually. <laughs> yeah, like, like, because that's the problem, right? Is that when you have concentrations of power, that's really, really valuable because that means that if you, you know, you can, you can take that power, you can use it for good, but you can also use it for personal gain. If you have an AI representative for literally every single person, there's no concentration of power. There's only lots and lots of agents arguing with each other. And to the extent that there's enough consensus among the people to be like, yeah, sure, let's, you know, make, uh, you know, murder, you know, a death penalty thing. We all agree on that, right? 95% of people, you know, in the country agree that that should be a thing. Okay, great, terrific. Well, now we have enough consensus. And it's not this abstraction of consensus. It's an actual, like, representative for each person. That is impossible in a world that doesn't have AI, uh, but it's very possible in a world that has cheap AI that can run locally on devices and that can act in these very kind of specific ways. And then again, act as an extension of yourself, act as, as your agent out in the world to accomplish things that you want, or at least to let you know when something's going on that you don't want, right? And that might need your attention. So again, like all this stuff is, is pie in the sky right now, but look at where we are today. Look at where we would need to be for that to be true. It's not very far. It's like maybe another, you know, 2x improvement over current. But it's like, it's very, very doable. Um, so, so it's it's a long way to oh, say you that. Just blew, you <laughs> just blew you my just mind with the last like okay. conversation <laughs> to talk about between us. Okay, so hours. we've been, okay, the, every conversation that we had, until the, the the government the AI thing that you know represents you the, like all of the 3D a, like 3D generative all those things made sense to me and I thought about it before but this was really something new yeah and, this was and like it actually make fucking sense you know you can do it and and, and the first dude, time we're living in a world where like after COVID and all this shit like people don't trust like you know giant entities anymore people don't don't have trust in anything anymore so they they really need to see facts they really need to see things in order to believe them and what you just mentioned like everybody having a representative and making sure that everything is going to be fair through those representatives is just such a cool concept i never fucking thought about and it's funny because you you were talking about skynet and then you brought that comparison <laughs> i'm like i thought you're going to talk about the destruction of the world and then you brought this stuff i'm like wow that's that's a very that's cool another optimistic way of looking at things from adam i think 
which is, I mean, yeah, which again, is very dope. you know, like to the extent that these technologies are disruptive, but centralized under the power of mm. few, who, especially the people who already have power, then it's a dystopian nightmare. Like that much is obvious. Yeah. Like, you don't like, there's no insight needed for that. But the point that I like to make is that that's one path and it's a path that we're not actually on right now um, because the AI stuff is out there, right? Whether you're talking about, you know, the ability to, I, uh, um, so I am very interested in locally running LLMs, right? And so I've been yeah. playing around with them, but I don't have a good GPU. I've skipped the last couple of generations of GPUs. So I have like a 3080 or something like that. And so it's like, oh, it, was, God. it was hilarious. Come on, you're, you're an AI. And you, Dude, you need to right now. My, my ML guys, like uh, my, my lead guy has two 4090s SLI together. <laughs> and just like, he has so much fun with it. And we, we bought A100s for the research team uh, so that yeah, they can do local go. training and stuff like that. But that's not me, <laughs> right? Like, like <laughs> I'm not a command line guy. I've literally been using command line, which is totally bizarre, uh, you know, and like debugging stuff and stuff like that. Again, <laughs> because because that's what you need to do to do this. But my point just is, is that on a 3080, I'm already able to create coherent content and coherent uh, responses using uh, some of like the 30 billion or 13 billion parameter models that exist out there. The downside, of course, is that it takes like 25 seconds for every token to come out. Mm -hmm. So like if you wanted to like write something for you, you basically have to be like, all right, now I'm going to go get lunch and then I'm going to drive to town yeah, and come, back. come back. It's like, okay, great. It's almost done. Uh, but but the point is, is that that's today. And if you were to if you were to talk about this like a year ago, people would be like, yeah, you'll never be able to do that on your computer. These are only large, large language models that require yeah. data centers and stuff like that. And that's already not true. Um, so again, like that that future where you can just run this hardware and or run the software. And it's not like, hey, I had to learn how to code to do it. It's not like, hey, I had to buy this powerful GPU. It's just like, hey. This is on my phone. It's running on the built-in chip, which is where I think we're going to get to pretty quick. Uh, again, like at that point, game over. Like there's no, <laughs> there's no possibility that centralized power has the ability to abuse any of this stuff because we will all collectively have, uh, again, agents that can protect us against it in a whole variety of ways. So I, I think it is, it's a very... You know, there are a lot of dark things in the world today, and there are a lot of dark trends, but AI is a very bright trend. And to the extent that you see efforts to try and slow it down, uh, like the pause thing. Good luck. Like, nice I try. Saw that. Good luck. I was like, I was like, first off, this is a lie. These people are not stopping. <laughs> Second off, the yeah. only like the game theory here suggests there's really only one play to be had, which is that you loudly proclaim that you are doing it and that you want everybody else to do it. And then you keep running as fast as you can, hoping that some of the suckers <laughs> believe you, right? Because like, even if 99.99% of all the companies that are out there decided to stop, all that does is it means that that you know, one dude who's probably like didn't give a shit about the rules anyways, is just gonna keep on running and making continue. the progress, yeah. exactly. So, so again, like, yeah. so we just need to lean into the reality that this is happening. It's a good thing it's happening. It's a good thing it's happening in an open source way that allows for all this stuff to both be transparent and available and it means that we're going to get better outcomes as time goes on unless you know you see something like the the government come in and be like oh well, all of this is illegal because it's too disruptive which they probably will do but it won't be because it's too disruptive to people it'll be because it's too disruptive to their hold on power i would say it's a threat it's the threat it to is. the power that they are holding now and one hundred is a problem and uh you know just i guess sort of like the last question because we i we want to respect your time 
I want to know one thing. You've been in the blockchain space. Oh, and yeah. Now the AI space. Question. You're talking about decentralization. You've been, you, you've, you've sort of talked about the future, you know, of AI. How do you see these two things merge together, blockchain and AI moving forward? Yeah. So this is a really popular topic of conversation in the world of blockchain right now, because blockchain right now is uh, going through another bear market and they're looking for reasons why they matter. Blockchains matter and they do matter because they represent a internet native form of digital ownership. And they represent, and that's really powerful. And so in the context of money, having digital native, digitally native forms of ownership of money, super powerful for everything else, also super powerful. One of the first ideas that I, I wanted to go down was um, tokenized uh, a wine delivery, right? Where like you, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole for a sec, where the way that you buy wine today, uh, if you're, if you're like a super rich person in the Napa Valley, which is where I grew up. Um, is you, you're like, hey, you have a vintage that's coming out in three years. I want to buy three cases of it, and let me, let me start that process now. You put down a deposit, which is about 50% of the money, and then basically your transaction sits in limbo there for about three years until it's actually ready, and then you pay the rest of it, and then you get to pick it up or whatever. Um, my thought was that, hey, you could, um, instead of just like having the transaction stay open, you could just be like, hey, here's a token that represents your paid deposit on each of these bottles, right? And so you get a bunch of tokens that represent these bottles. And now if you wanna hold it until it's ready, you can, but if you wanna sell it to somebody else or you wanna you know, trade it or you wanna do something else, you can. And I, I came from the world of, um, of crowdfunding for a minute uh, and saw this problem where people would back a crowdfunding project, it would take forever, they would have a money problem, they would need a refund, and they would need to get that refund back from the person who set up the project, which would then endanger the project because money was getting pulled out of it at a time where they couldn't do that. So this idea kind of stretches across there. So, so, so this concept of native ownership and then everything also being an asset that can be traded, uh, whether for money or for anything else, just like transfer of ownership, that's a really, really powerful concept. It is powerful in the world of AI in a couple of different ways, but it's a little non-obvious what's important about it right now. I think where this is going to be used is it's going to be used in a couple of ways. One, I think it'll be a digital form of money. I think any type of AI that you're talking about that is going to have any sort of an autonomous life to it, um, you know, like an agent that exists out there for the purposes of creating a news site, right? And you know that wants to pay for its own hosting and stuff like that. All of that stuff is going to mean in digital, you know, native money because that's the only type of money that AIs are going to be able to actually manipulate. Then on the other side of it, um, I think that one of the problems, obviously, in the world of generative AI art is that the way that stable, trained, the way that a lot of these projects trained, used, scraped content from the internet, uh, which was a really good way to shortcut to like from lousy quality to really good quality but it was not good in a bunch of other ways. And I think that a lot of this stuff will eventually become sort of like a blockchain intellectual property uh, where you're securing certain rights and then you have the ability to, to send payments through those things. And there's a lot of hand wavy stuff about how this type of thing would work right now. But I think there are enough people who are working on solving this problem using blockchains that it probably is a thing where it's like, this token is, you know, issued to the Andy Warhol Foundation, and it represents the the financial, you know, revenue stream from all of the artwork that's created that evokes, 
you know, something that come that came out of stuff that was trained off them, stuff like that. In the right now, it's messy. In the future, I think that, that that's how content will be added to training data sets. Um, it, they'll actually like be registered on a blockchain, and then somebody who wants to use that type of trading thing will be able to to effectively work that into the the code, so that when these things are evoked, then they get a, a small royalty payment, stuff like that. So those are kind of some of the ideas I have around it right now. Um, in in our world, uh, I will just say that um, that we very much intend to do a rewards program that will likely be a tokenized one, um, and and that rewards program will be like, hey, help us hone our data set, and we're going to give you back a token. That token will be useful as money within our little ecosystem. And then if you want to, you know, sell it or do something else with it, hey, it's a token you can do whatever you want. So I think there's I think there's all kinds of expressions of how these things will 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 sort of work together, but none of them are super quick and none of them are super obvious. They're all kind of like second order effect type of stuff that's still still to come. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a great, I would say it's a great opportunity for artists mm -hmm. that, that they, you know, they, they, it democratized the whole ecosystem. Mm -hmm. They can get, they can get paid for their work yeah. and they can even token gate what, what their work is for. Like, I don't want it to be used in any model or yeah. I want it to be used. I want this percentage. I think that would solve a lot of problems at the same time. Yeah. yeah and we saw a little bit of that with the NFT space. Of course it had its, you know, sort of gross parts and it had its amazing times both sides and i think now especially in the bear market we're going to slowly see the real utility coming from these and being used hopefully in the in the ai space we definitely see how it's going to work out like uh, predictions i guess uh but we'll we'll wait and see and we're excited to see how you guys also implemented like you mentioned the tokenization but all in all adam it is it's uh, it's been what a conversation yeah what listening conversation. thank you yeah listening to you yeah, it, it was wonderful. Just your take on everything. What I want to know, especially for the audience, if they enjoyed, you know, everything you just talked about, if they want to find out more, not just about you, about Blockade Labs, but also hear you more, where can they find you? Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, so like I said, I've done a lot of podcasts. I'm in the process of winding my last one down right now. I haven't actually told anybody okay. this yet, but it'll be over at the end of June for me. I'm handing off the mic to someone else so I can focus on this stuff. Um, but for now, you can find me on Markets Daily if you want to hear me talk about the macroeconomic situation and uh, also yell about uh, banks and bailouts and stuff like that a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, if you want to kind of look at the, the historical work that I did specifically in the world of Bitcoin, um, I have a SoundCloud account, which is uh, uh, called Mind to Matter, uh, M-I-N-D-T-O-M-A-T-T-E-R that has most of the first 500 episodes that I did um, starting from 2013 and going up to, I think I stopped posting there in early 2019. Um, so that's a place you can find that. Um, and then, you know, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm Adam at blockadelabs.com. Um, you know, I'm uh, happy to talk to people. I do, I'm not doing a lot of mentorship right now because I'm so busy with other stuff, but I really like helping people understand stuff. And I'm, again, I try to be helpful wherever I can as my time scales. So that's a that's a good way, and then yeah, I'm you know, and then the product itself is at uh, skybox.blockadelabs.com, um, and really really love to get feedback, love to understand what people are thinking about and what they want more from it. Um, you know, like I'm I kind of invented myself as a product guy just because like my early experiences in crypto <laughs> uh, were basically me being like. I'm a journalist. I should just be neutral. I'm going to help people start other projects, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And over the course of the first three projects that I helped, I basically watched 
two of them burn through lots of money in a very short period of time and then be out of business because they didn't want to do it if they didn't have a bunch of money. And on the other side, um, saw somebody who just totally failed to deliver and like quit because it was hard after like two months, uh, you know? <laughs> and so that's why I started creating companies was because I was like, well, I'm not going to give up on this stuff. And I think it's important. And I'm, I know how to not waste money. Um, you know, and like, I'm not going to like buy a house and then be like, this is the party house. And then that's the thing, that we're doing, <laughs> which literally one of the projects that I, I was the first money in on and, uh, and the advisor to who gave them the core idea for the project. That was what I watched happen. It's a, it's a project called Swarm. <laughs> you can look it up. It's on, uh, it's on TechCrunch Cribs. It's called The Love Nest. Um, love, love Nest. Nest. Love yeah. Nest, yeah, okay. back in 2014. So anyways, so that, that kind of set me on this path to, to do these things uh, because this stuff's super hard. Like building anything that's brand new is super hard. And, and again, like the challenges can involve not having enough money and they can also involve having too much money. And they're both problems. They're both enormous problems with actually accomplishing the thing. So it's very hard. And uh, so anyways, long, long, long story short, if I can help you in your journey, please feel free to reach out to me. I make no promises that I will be able to, but I am happy to, to field requests and to provide perspective where needed. Well, thank you so much, Adam. We can uh, we can test to that. He does reply almost everybody's <laughs> comments. So if you have anything, just go ahead to Twitter or LinkedIn and he'll he'll be there. Thanks again so much. much. It's been wonderful. Twitter, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's honestly it's been a pleasure. So Farhad, is there anything else? No, here? I think I just want to thank Adam for all the insight that he gave. I think it really opened up my mind and I'm sure the audience yeah. mind. And we're gonna you. watch uh, Terminator tonight. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the last one wasn't a good movie, to be honest. I still nah. prefer the first and second one. And no. Matrix one. If you want to watch Matrix is yeah. a better movie. I don't mind that. But yeah, thank you everyone who is watching. We are gonna be back in two days time with another episode of yeah. our podcast so until the next episode ciao see you later see you.